If you're a regular listener to Smashing the Ceiling or you've heard about the Skylark Collective, you'll know by now that I'm all about raising up other women. And since you last heard from me, as well as a lot of new podcasts, I've also been enjoying Femme Foundry, a one-of-a-kind global community for womankind to discover, learn, connect and thrive. One of the key components that sets Femme Foundry apart is their focus on the multifaceted aspects of a woman's life from her career to her wellness, from her spirituality to her mental health. This, along with their founding team and Femme Foundry's global partners, mean they are uniquely positioned as a media powerhouse for women's empowerment on a large scale. With a new improved 2.0 version of the app just launched, Femme Foundry has huge global ambitions with a mission to become the bumble of humanised female networking, learning and support. So download Femme Foundry today and have a look. I would love to know your thoughts. Hello there. Welcome to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that showcases the lives of women who've achieved amazing things in their careers, some who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. I'm your host, Naomi Mella founder of the Skylark Collective and the International Women's Podcast Awards. And each week I'll be sitting down with one woman to hear about the ceilings they've smashed through in their lives. The glass ceiling isn't all about corporate boardrooms, international skyscrapers and towering stilettos. Although don't get me wrong, I love a good high heel. There are women breaking down barriers everywhere, shattering stereotypes and forging their own unique and wonderful career paths. We're here to share their stories with you to let you know how they got where they are and how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. We're an independent podcast, so if you'd like to support us, please follow, rate and review wherever you listen. Everyone asks you to do this, I know, but it really does make a difference and we'd love it if you could. My daughter would be sleeping and I would just be lying there staring at the ceiling typically crying um, (laughs) because I just, you know, I just are completely overwhelmed by everything, plus very strong and vivid nightmares that were quite troubling. And so just not being able to get the rest that I needed day or night at that point, you know, and just getting more and more exhausted. This week, we're talking, amongst other things, about sleep. My guest today is Dot Zacharias, COO and co-founder of Nourish, a well-being app for busy mums designed to find a little calm in their lives, which aims to protect maternal mental health and provide support. But that description doesn't quite cover Dot's career. She describes herself as rebellious and adventurous, which basically means she's a woman after my own heart. After starting her working life in Russia, She's worked as a management consultant, qualified as a sleep coach, been part of multiple startups, and successfully exited her own previous company, Sleepability. Dot studied Russian at university, and as I said, began her career there. We recorded this episode a little while ago, and given the current events in Ukraine, I debated whether I ought to release this episode this week. The actions of the Russian government and the unspeakable horror they are unleashing on the citizens of the Ukraine is appalling and cannot be condoned. But our conversation was about the world of work and Dot's experiences with the people of Russia that she met, most of which was wonderfully positive. On balance, I felt the insights she offered warranted leaving this section of the interview in. 
and I hope you agree. I started by asking Dot what drew her to studying Russia and travelling to the country. It's a good question. I ask myself that all the time, actually. <laughs> I do wonder what was going on in my head at 19 years old. You know, I, I think I was just looking for adventure and challenge. I think challenge is probably the thing that comes up most for me is just wanting to feel challenged and um there's a bit of a rebellious side in there as well like not wanting to be run of the mill like just feeling like there must be more out there than this like not wanting to necessarily just walk a trodden path but have some kind of unique experiences I was studying English and French and I had to choose a third option being at Edinburgh and so I chose Russian wanted to do another language because I think it was the fact that my parents said you can't study Russian you know and I thought well that sounds like a limited view so <laughs> I think I'll study that um, and discover what's beyond that kind of um, those preconceived ideas really. I was doing Russian from scratch so as you can imagine I was you know it was pretty hard um, and so coming to make my choices to go forwards of course I cho- chose the subject that I was worst at um, because again it was the biggest challenge. Dot mentioned that she was quite rebellious as a young woman and I admire the spirit of those who do unexpected things. I asked her what she was like as a child, what her expectations of work were when she was young, and what she thought she might end up doing. I think adventure is probably what I wanted. I think I always loved travelling, and I think I have a a deep interest in, in people and different types of people you know, going beyond boundaries and going beyond kind of what we know already and that curiosity, I think. I also love literature and I love kind of the creative side. So I did sort of consider going into something more like publishing. Um, And I did actually do an internship in publishing. Everyone was the same. Everyone was, it, it just, it felt claustrophobic to me. And actually what I thought they would be doing was very different to what they were actually doing. And that put me off completely. <laughs> find how we perceive work and different careers to be absolutely fascinating. The frequent disconnect between the idea we hold in our minds about what a job will entail and the actual reality are often so different and we've discussed this before on the podcast. If you want some unique insights into this have a listen to episode 25 with Beck Fisher who tried 40 new jobs before the age of 40 and has some brilliant stories. Personally, as someone who also loves books and literature, a career in publishing sounds wonderful. But every job is mundane in its own way. Every career has its own cadence, a routine where the humdrum rolls alongside occasional excitement. Even those whose job revolves around dealing with pressurised situations experience this too. No job is fun or exciting all the time. It's just a question of deciding if that career is right for you. Absolutely. And I think it's a fit thing, isn't it? Is the is the the humdrum of the job something you can stomach or is it really something you, you couldn't? And there was a lot of um I've always been terrible at, at organizing. So my the my first boss said, you know, you're you're highly intelligent is what he said but you know you cannot for your life order a taxi or plan a meeting um (laughs) and it was absolutely spot on you know I can't I'm just not good at those kind of I I'm a I'm a big thinker I think I'm sort of quite a creative thinker and so yeah the 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 bitty day-to-day stuff it's just not in my my skill set actually yet now you're a COO (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I always knew yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of get better as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which kind of will come on to that, obviously, but you know, it kind of shows you that you're not made one way and not able to change, you know, it's, um, I guess everybody can grow and learn, can't they? So um, heading off to Russia, you went for your first job there um, after university. Can you tell us a bit about, as somebody who hasn't been to Russia personally, a lot of people won't, what is it like and what's it like working there, A, as a young person and B, as a as a British woman dot as well? Yeah, it was uh, it was an incredible experience, actually. Um, just every day you have some kind of experience that you want to write home about or have a laugh about with your friends and just can't believe it. You know, just walking down the street. There's, but I think what I found incredible was was starting to be to feel really integrated in, in such a foreign environment and foreign culture. And that's what kind of working there, I think, gave me. Um, it was very, very challenging to begin with, um, especially my first role where I was a account manager or account manager assistant, you know, the kind of lowest grade in that team, which required organizing people and getting not only just the creative Russian men in their sort of 30s. And I was early 20s, English, you know, female and trying to get um, these Russian men to meet deadlines was extremely challenging you know and I I smiled too much so <clears throat> no one would take me seriously because I was constantly smiling and I wasn't sort of able to be tough enough at that point point. Um, so I had to learn to toughen up and kind of communicate with them in a way that that you know that would get the job done um, so I found it very kind of frustrating <clears throat> but obviously grew a huge amount in that time um, and I then shifted over to strategic planning um, and I really loved that. And I had a great team and my manager there was fantastic um, and my colleague as well. And we created a kind of very close knit team and and feeling that sense of um, there's a deep loyalty and companionship with Russians that that I kind of felt part of and felt very moved by. Um, they say that in, in Russia, you know, um, your neighbor or your friend is closer than your family and they do create these very strong bonds between them um through work and being young as well it was a great environment because it was um again creative people so fun you know a really really fun office environment i was really interested in the women dot met whilst working in russia She mentioned just there that she had to toughen up, which is a narrative I'm sure many of you can relate to from being in your early 20s. I certainly can. But what was her take on women in the workplace and the opportunities offered to them? I really like the kind of role models of women that I met there. Um, And also the younger women, they are very, I found them very feminine, um, super elegant, always be dressed fantastically, um, and, you know, proud of their femininity, but very strong as well. There was a quite a strong sense of equality, funnily enough, in, in the office, I would say. Um, some very senior women, and then the younger women as well would, would um, you know, were, were hardworking and, and very much part of the team. It, it didn't feel, yeah, as I said, I, I think a great sense of equality, and I liked that. Yeah, that's kind of that's so refreshing to hear, you know, like it's I think this thing about femininity not being something to be hidden is something that I really think we are embracing more as a culture here, but probably have a bit of a way to go because actually it used to be that you almost had to kind of hide 
any feminine traits you know you couldn't be seen to be soft or caring or empathetic or a mother for god forbid you know and and actually like being that kind of tough macho was seen to be the only way to get ahead you know being assertive although you always risk being called a bitch but it's kind of I feel like now people are definitely starting to embrace being it sounds very cheesy to say like being who you are but actually you can have two sides like you can be a woman and be a boss and be brilliant at your job and not be just very hyper masculine I suppose yeah absolutely no I think it was um I think it was a good early experience of that and something which was a big contrast with my kind of first um corporate job in London in a management consulting which was the other way around I felt like I had to leave my personality at the door yeah that was really really hard for me didn't like that at all (laughs) and so I was just going to come on to that like what was it that brought you back from Moscow to London I think a, a big reason was that I I felt like I I had lost touch with England and I I didn't actually like coming home. I found it very hard to reconnect with people in a way. I felt like I'd gone so much the other way that people would find me, you know, verging on rude when I come home because I'd learned how to kind of get my way and be assertive. And um, so, yeah, people find me rude. I found people spoke too fast, whereas in Russia, you know, we typically you know you would hear a story can last five minutes and everybody will listen whereas in England it was like chop 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 you know I remember so clearly going to a bar in London with some friends on a kind of week back from Russia and just feeling like I didn't fit there and that was strange for me and I thought you know I have to make a choice actually whether I go back to the UK or 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 never come back or you know never really feel at home at home. And you mentioned briefly there that coming back to a management consultancy firm in London was a super different environment. Can you just um, dive into that a little bit Dot? like how was the transition for you coming back and and how did you find working here versus versus Russia? It sounds like it was quite different. Yeah I mean I had a transition between the two so I had about a year and a half working on a startup um, responsible travel startup so that was that was fun and um, so yeah having come from Russia plus startup to a big big corporate was was quite a shock I felt like you know with the onboarding process I felt like I was treated like a school child I felt like I had all these incredible experiences and then you're expected to be you know very very um, grateful just to be spoken to by a manager or that I wasn't really given much much respect and I had to be this kind of smaller person than I felt comfortable being um, and had to sort of take it down a notch you know realized that you weren't expected to necessarily speak up at a meeting you weren't necessarily expected to have an opinion on anything um, and that you would get by quicker if you um, did what you were told very very well but um, yeah didn't have too much of an opinion. I know I shouldn't be shocked, but every time I hear a woman speak about feeling forced to make themselves smaller, whether in personality or stature or opinion or in the volume of their voice, it disappoints me again and again. Aren't we beyond that now? There are myriad studies about the value of diverse opinions in the workplace and the benefits of people being heard and opinions being challenged. It just makes good business sense. Stories like this are commonplace and it makes me realise that no matter how far we've come, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, I think there is. I think, you know, having been now on the other side of it, being more senior, um, I can see on the other side that 
yeah, there is a necessity to learn as well and to stay humble. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it depends as well. You know, someone like me, I need I need a place to have have a creative outlet or to feel like I'm really doing something and contributing and participating. And that might, you know, and maybe not everybody is like that. So I think just being able to give people opportunities when required and maybe just, yeah, look at people as individuals rather than as, as pieces in a machine would be great. Treating people as individuals is definitely my key take home here. And if you haven't read Matthew Syed's book, Rebel Ideas, I'd give that a big shout out in the context of this conversation. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you want to know more about communication at work, then it's an excellent read. We spoke earlier about Dot's propensity to do the unexpected, and she has unexpectedly pivoted her career a couple of times, firstly from management consultancy into being a sleep coach. I'm obsessed with sleep, despite sometimes not being very good at it, and became fascinated with the science of sleep after reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Dot told me that early in her career, she became interested in social enterprise and social innovation. But after being told by an angel investor that social entrepreneurs typically work from personal experience, she felt she didn't have any relevant experience to draw upon in, in starting a business. Until she became a mother and the sleep deprivation began. And I sort of felt like, well, I haven't had much personal experience, you know, yet. So what would I start my business on my purpose driven business on um, and actually the personal experience for me came around the time of having my first child and it was yeah sleep deprivation and um, an actual insomnia um, and anxiety so having always been interested in kind of well-being and wellness social enterprise it was a it, it was a natural fit um, actually um, just to, to look into sleep and yeah I had a, I had a, an opportunity I think really to be moving to Brussels where life is cheaper so I actually could take the risk of not earning for a little while um, you know which in London would have been impossible um, and so it gave me that, that I thought right you know wow finally I've got this great opportunity to do my own thing um, I have this personal experience that really did impact my life and that's something that inspires me so yeah that's how it kind of came together. For anyone who's never experienced insomnia or sleep deprivation, whether through parenthood or otherwise, Kim Cattrall's deeply personal audio essay for BBC Woman's Hour back in 2016, where she describes her experiences with insomnia, is one of the most profound and moving pieces I've heard on the topic. She describes it as like having a three-ton gorilla sitting on her chest that she can't shake off, and talks about how it affected her memory and capacity to work. I asked Dot about her experiences with sleep and anxiety and how that manifested. You know, I do think that becoming becoming a mother was a big, big shock in terms of just having to shift my kind of priorities. So, you know, I, I've always been an active get things done, you know, and, and obviously when you're you kind of in your career, that that's that's what you need to get by and to thrive. And so and so I was you know, not able to get the rest that I needed really in the early days. I didn't give myself permission to to rest. Um, and so I think that just really exacerbated the anxiety um, and probably postnatal depression. I never thought of, I actually sought a psychotherapist 
but only about a year afterwards. It took me that long to kind of really recognise I had an issue. <laughs> yeah, so it, it kind of exacerbated the anxiety and that led to really the insomnia where my daughter would be sleeping and I would just be lying there staring at the ceiling, typically crying because um, <laughs> I just, you know, I just are completely overwhelmed by everything. Um, plus very strong and vivid nightmares that were quite troubling and so just not being able to get the rest that I needed day or night at that point, you know, and just getting more and more exhausted. Um, but you do, I, I did take it on my my own shoulders, I think, to try and to feel like, well, everyone goes through this and everyone says it's hard and everyone says it's tiring. So maybe this is it, you know, this is what it's like. Um, and it took, yeah, it took, took me a while and, and my husband to sort of say to me, Dot, you really need to, you know, sort this out because I was just getting cross with everyone I was I was yeah I was struggling to 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 bond with my daughter as well so have a have a memory of going away for a weekend and coming back my mum had been looking after her and she said oh you must be so happy to come back you know and 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 see your daughter and I was sort of thinking I don't really feel anything to be honest I'm completely numb you know and and so it it was yeah it was a very challenging time and it was all mixed together I think um but the insomnia just I think made it so much worse <laughs> well there's a reason that sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture isn't it I think and and actually when you when you say it like that it's kind of it's expected that new parents endure sleep deprivation and get on with their jobs and look after a newborn baby and 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 actually it's a lot and actually it's it's no wonder that people find it difficult and that you know we get issues around anxiety and insomnia because actually there's just this expectation I think particularly for mothers although I think fathers as well that you just keep going and life goes on as normal yeah absolutely I think there's such that expectation it because it's it's something that so many people go through we tend to take it for granted and it was and I felt like it was taken taken for granted that I would just suddenly switch from you know who I was before to who I all the things I had to be now and give up my whole life you know that, that I'd built up until now um to be staying at home and I it you know it's it's I didn't feel like there was anyone that really spoke to me properly at that point um or kind of heard or listened and I think it's also quite quite common that you don't feel heard because you're maybe not expressing it in the right way you know it takes the right person to to hear you and to um speak to you in the right way and typically it's someone who's been through it before um and I unfortunately didn't have that support early on um so yeah it was it kind of felt like I was struggling alone for quite a long time and unable to really express how I was feeling or how bad it was because you always try to put on a brave face don't you Mm. and how eventually did you get help or how how was how did you eventually kind of improve things really dark well it wasn't until after my second child that I decided to go down the sleep coaching path um uh but I think what to get my own sleep back on track was a process of first a realization of the problem like I said that took me quite a while to realize that this you know there's something does need to change and um, and so then a look at okay what needs to change and it's partly you know um internal and it, it kind of external so I think a, a lot of work was was on the habits okay so how do I actually um make the space for sleep and prioritize sleep and what can I do in order to make some time in my day for that or rearrange my day so that I have time for sleep 
Um, and the, one of the main things that helped me at that point was Yoga Nidra. So a friend of mine who I've been practicing yoga with for a while gave me a CD of Yoga Nidra. I kind of heard of it before. And I just remember the opening sentences of that. And it just spoke to me so clearly, you know, sometimes when life is really challenging and we feel like our problems are insurmountable, you know, it's not that our life is challenging and our problems are insurmountable, it's just we're really exhausted. And I was like, and it just like, yes. Um, and so listening to Yoga Nidra in the night when I was awake um, just took the pressure off. It gave me that comfort, gave me a, a bit of rest when I couldn't sleep. Um, so I started practicing Yoga Nidra at night, uh, started practicing it a bit during the day as well. When you're deeply sleep deprived, to, to kind of just recover from that sleep deprivation with Yoga Nidra is a great first step. Um, and then you've got more energy and willpower to look at the rest of the stuff. So that can be, as I said, habits, you know, getting to bed earlier or avoiding caffeine, all of those things. Um, and then a deep look at my, um, my priorities and my attitude around rest and sleep. You know, the fact that I was you know, I'd get angry the time, anytime anyone told me that I needed to rest, it really triggered me. And I'd say, I don't need to rest. I need to get things done, you know, because I was so upset that I lost this productive side of my life, which I enjoy. Like I like getting things done, you know, and I was suddenly told I had to rest and it was so annoying. So looking at that, I'm like, why, why am I so, you know, uh, reluctant to rest? And what's my relationship with sleep? And, you know, why do I, what, what does being productive mean? What does it mean to be efficient? And what does it mean to be happy? And, you know, all of those bigger questions. For those people that don't know about Yoga Nidra, could you just speak a little about what that is, Dot? Um, I think there'll be a lot of people who haven't probably experienced that listening to this. Could you just give us a brief overview of what Yoga Nidra is and what it involves? Yeah, of course. So yoga nidra is a, a sort of sleep meditation. So nidra means a form of sleep in Sanskrit. It's um, sleep with consciousness. It's an in-between state where our body is deeply, deeply relaxed um, and our mind is free to sort of wonder and process emotions, um, experiences, thoughts um, from a deeper level of consciousness. So it's, it's a meditative practice that is often practiced lying down um, which helps the body really let go. Um, and it's a very giving and generous practice is what I found. You know, there, there's not, there's nothing that you need to do. There's no way to do it wrong. Um, whatever your experience, it's fine. You will get whatever you need from this practice, whether you fall asleep during the practice, whether you stay wide awake and feeling anxious during the practice, whatever your experience, that's the right experience for you today. So there isn't this sense that I find found personally around some other forms of meditation where, you know, there's a right and a wrong. It's this long learning journey and it's quite difficult and you feel like, yeah, there was just this great sense of, of generosity and givingness. It's quite hard for people sometimes to switch off and to rest. And so accessing a clearer mind through a relaxed body, I think helps us actually get there quicker. As someone who has struggled with sleep over the years, particularly at times of stress, I can attest to the benefits of Yoga Nidra. If you haven't tried it before and you're struggling with sleep in any way, shape or form, then do give it a try. It's an incredible thing to feel rested whilst awake and to receive comfort from knowing that whatever you think about, whatever you experience, it's okay. You will benefit. But Dot is now a sleep coach. So what does a sleep coach do and how do you become one? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. And actually, there isn't much training out there um, that is of quality. So that's something I would love to develop as well in the future, actually. Um, a lot of what I've created is, is self Taught. So I did a initial um, sleep coach training through the Integrative Maternity and Parenting Institute in the US. Um, and the course was very light, really, you know, not didn't go into much depth for me, either on the sleep side or the coaching side. Um, so I started to um, uh, look elsewhere for kind of more information. I met a fantastic um, sleep researcher in the UK called Dr. Neil Stanley. And I met him at an event and I said, you know, I'm interested in this sleep coaching. What do you think of it? Is the place for it? Because sleep is a tricky subject because it is, you know, it, it, it's, it again comes into that kind of science and medicine versus wellness debate, you know, and and is there a place for sleep wellness and, and a kind of a different approach? And we know through CBT that it does work. And actually, in many ways, the coaching that I provide is very similar to CBT, but in my own style. Um, and so, yeah, so I studied that course. I met Dr. Stanley. Um, he mentored me and gave me a huge amount of information around sleep itself. So um, I developed a lot of content. And each time I had a question from a client or from, you know, when I was developing the workshops and conferences and online course, um, he would help me. He ran trainings for me and other coaches as well on sleep as a subject, because there's so, so, so many questions that come up around sleep, obviously. Um, so he continues to mentor me to this day. Um, I have to contact him less and less. But Really through that relationship, I learned a lot about sleep. And then I also did the um, a pure coaching course as well through Coactive. Um, plus, I became an iRest meditation teacher. So iRest meditation on itself, which is a type of yoga nidra, um, just to clarify that, that's um, a school that's in the US, which is fantastic, really great. If anyone wants to learn about yoga nidra, um, iRest Institute is fantastic. Um, I really like the way that it couples um, yoga nidra with kind of modern psychology and modern science. So um, it's a quite an accessible approach. Um, the language that's used is very accessible. And I rest yoga nidra can be used purely for sleep. Um, coactive coaching can be used just for sleep. And so I just combined those, those approaches really with a layer of that sleep knowledge from Dr. Stanley to create my own approach. After training as a coach, Dot went from working in a full-on corporate environment at a large company with a fast pace and a lot of structure to being self-employed in a completely different field with her coaching business, Sleepability. I asked her about this transition and how she managed it. Yeah, I think I always had ambitions. So I, I knew that I always wanted to be, you know, I, I love entrepreneurship. I love creating businesses. It's so suited to me. Um, and so I, I partly the sleep sleepability experience was about learning how to be an entrepreneur. And so each, you know, challenge was like, right, this is an opportunity to learn about the resilience that's required. <laughs> the, um, you know, how am I going to get over this? And this is really, really challenging. Um, but this is, you know, this is how I'm going to learn. And I need I knew that because I have so, so many ideas for businesses that I want to create, I'd said to myself, if I don't choose one, I will never do anything. So just choose one. And it might not be, you know, the, the, the one that you're going to do for the rest of your life, but choose one and do it to the best you can. So that's why I set up on the sleep path, really. And so I took it as um, 
had a few mentors, which um, have always been really valuable to me. Um, and, you know, one of the questions that my mentor asked early on, look, you know, Doc, is this a lifestyle business or is this a sort of scale up startup, you know, situation? And I said, to be honest, I don't know yet. And that's why I like this business model, because it could grow. It could be an online uh, platform um, and it could just be me as a coach. And so I quite like that. It kicked off pretty quickly, to be honest, um, because I'd once I'd kind of, you know, just defined what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work with corporates because um, with my management consulting background, I knew that was something I could I could do. And my first client was Accenture. Wow. And uh, going in big. <laughs> uh, I got into this accelerator and met through that. I met this uh, director of innovation and he said, yeah, great. You can you can do a program for us. <laughs> I didn't have anything I had absolutely zero material um and so I did tell him this I said you know are you sure I'm not you know I'm this is just the beginning he said no it's fine go for it so I mean amazing right and so that's really how it all started um but I always felt a little bit kind of um well it was just too much really for me to take on so at the end of the first year I had this realization that I needed a co-founder um and I found somebody um, who was very much suited to the B2B business, um, had a Belgian, had a great network, um, very professional, fantastic. So we created the B2B. We realized we couldn't do B2B and B2C. So we just did a B2B business model, um, set up a sales process. Um, she was fun, very, very complimentary to me, which was great. Um, super organized, very, very structured. Um, and so, yeah, we, we set off on this kind of journey really then together of professionalizing what I'd created originally, translating into French and Dutch, uh, which is a prerequisite for business in Belgium, which is just not at all practical. Um, and yeah, we started off selling and we sold to the European Commission and we sold to uh, Brussels Airlines, uh, Swift. So we had some really fantastic clients and it was it was great fun. And you're using the past tense with this company, Dot. Can you talk us a little bit through what happened with it and how you then transitioned into your next sleep company? Because I think it's kind of an interesting discussion about the progression and um, lifespan, I guess, of startups, because we talk a lot about how a lot of them fail or they evolve or they pivot or whatever. What happened with that company and, and how did that journey go? Yeah, so I always wanted to be one of my objectives was to know when it was time to stop, you know, um, if if it was. And, and so one of the things was to have these milestones where you say, you know, I'm going to reach that point. And if I don't, then, you know, and obviously it's quite difficult to set the right milestones and the right goals because there's always that temptation to carry on. Um, but to be quite to be quite tough with that, those decision making, you know, because I don't I don't I don't like the thought of just you know, flogging a dead horse and doing something for too long. Um, and we'd reached a point where we'd really, you know, got a lot of traction. Um, but we realized that it was it was quite a heavy business model. So the sales side was was very, very heavy. Um, plus we were having to um, pay other coaches to go out and deliver in Dutch and just the organizational side. So our ambition was to sell to a, a wellness provider um, because we felt also that sleep was one one wellness program for a company um and so it would make sense actually if we were part of a bigger wellness provider um who could share some of that sales effort um and we could be more of the the delivery plus developing more content um and we had some really great conversations at the beginning um 
around that. Um, it took it took quite a long time to get to that decision. I have to say, you know, we'd, I said I'd set up a six month plan. Um, we were pretty much on track. We were hitting our targets quite well, um, but there was this sense of is this going to be big enough? Um, so yeah, we were looking we were looking at kind of um, partnering or, or, or with with a, with a bigger company, and that was exactly the moment when COVID hit. <laughs> um, and of course, conversations went completely flat. Um, corporate wellness providers were really struggling. So all in all, we thought, right, okay, well, this is probably a good moment to to wind down the business. Um, and uh, my co-founder um, went back to the corporate world. Um, I took some time off during COVID to look after the kids and started to really think about what I wanted to do next. One thing that struck me here was Dot's self-awareness about where her boundaries lay with sleepability and knowing when the right time to quit was. Stephen Bartlett, the host of Diary of a CEO podcast and one of the dragons on Dragon's Den here in the UK, has talked really eloquently about winding up a venture absolutely not being a failure, just an opportunity to take everything you've learned and convert it into something new. And I love that. This brings us neatly onto Dot's current venture, Nourish. As I mentioned in the introduction, she is the COO of the Nourish app. And I asked her about this pivot into the femtech industry and into the world of apps. How did that come about? It's really, really good question. Um, I think a bit of kind of um, clarity on my side of what I wanted to do. So I had, you know, as I said, spent a lot of time really, really defining what I wanted. And I knew I wanted to stay in the wellness space, wellness slash mental health. Um, and I'm interested in both a community-based uh, business, which is something I was working on in London as well, or digital. Um, <laughs> very Two very different um, approaches. but. Um, and so um, I and I think that the B2C side is something that I've, I've always enjoyed. So that's kind of ties into my early days, really, the the advertising plus my first startup experience. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of I knew quite clearly where I wanted to go and started to, you know, speak to people and, and find out what was going on. Um, and that's when I came across Nourish um, through Instagram, actually, and um, and I connected with Sarah Campin, who is the founder, um, and we had an initial chat. And I think she was interested in my um, my kind of experience of the B two B side, um, and so she she took me on as a consultant in the, the beginning to explore partnerships as well as B two B. So I started working on that. I just got more and more involved, really, um, as time went by and took on a bigger and bigger role. And, you know, I think I am, you know, as I keep saying, I think that kind of uh, creative vision and and starting businesses is what I'm passionate about. And so um, it just made sense that I took on more of a co-founder role and that we we now work kind of very closely together on the vision and the direction and where we're heading. And um, as well as so I I take on kind of go to market um which allows her to focus more on product so she comes more from a um uh it consulting and life sciences background she started the app originally from her own experience of struggling um with her own mental health um as a as a new mum um and kind of discovering the transformational benefits of self-care so the app is a self-care app for mums created by mums 
Um, and so you can go on the app um, and discover kind of two to 20 minute exercises to help you with very common challenges and emotions that you might experience in motherhood uh, from exhaustion to overwhelm um, to, to things like, you know, colic with baby. It's not at all about parenting. It's very much about in investing in your own personal wellness as a mother um, so that you can safeguard your mental health. Mm. And very necessary, very useful, very um, needed, I think. Um, and how have you found the kind of co-founder journey? I mean, we love in this podcast to dig into the kind of how of everything. Um, co-foundership, how does that work in terms of you mentioned earlier on that you'd got a co-founder in for sleepability. You've been taken on as a co-founder for the Nourish app. If you're not there at the very beginning, how does co-foundering work practically in terms of do you buy in is there shares like how does all of that kind of thing work and then also how do you find each other like how do you find a co-founder for example yeah it is very different when you come in not from the beginning and it's funny that I've had two experiences of that mm, um quite unusual I think on both sides yeah it is it is um and I think I think it just it takes probably a little bit longer you know to reach that that kind of co-founder feeling <laughs> as I said you know is this is this a what kind of role is this you know is it a is it in first employee or is it something more or is it a consultant and so it does take 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 a while to kind of get to that and it's on both sides you know is that comfortable for both of us do we feel like we want that same to share that responsibility um well I think the co-founder is so important that when you're a single founder you it's very important to let somebody else in because it's so much pressure on your own that I think that was my experience. I reached a point where I realized I had to share this with somebody. And even if it is quite difficult, I think as a, as a first founder to, to give that much, you know, ownership and um, to somebody else, um, it's vital for the business because if you want the business to go forward, you can't do it all on your own. Um, some people can uh, yeah of course there are some single founders and it, that works well but um my personal experience was that you need to be able to share it's an art not a science isn't it it's just making sure that you know communication's there that there's the right fit and I think you know I'm lucky enough to have been through it several times that I'm you know really recognizing this there's a huge amount that of, of positives in this really co-founder relationship the next question is where do we where where do we go from here? You know, do we stay with the B2C route? Um, do we just scale up on that side? Really want to invest more in the product. Um, so looking at how, so one of the challenges for mums, which is why we built the app, was that we find self-care hard. Uh, we feel guilty, we don't have time. Um, and when people turn to the app, you know, we have some super users who are on it every day, but many of the mums we speak to, you know, would like to use it more, uh, which is great. So we want to invest in some kind of great rewarding uh, features on the app. So making mums feel really good about giving themselves that time um, to invest in their in their own personal wellness. Um, so that's kind of taking the product to the next level. I mean, the product that was launched is very much just an M MVP and it, it works really well. But we, yeah, we'd love to kind of improve on, on the product side. Um, the other thing that we're really excited to explore is more of the public health partnerships. Um, we found that the impact of COVID has really meant that people are more open to a kind of range of different um, um, products in terms of the, the landscape around mental health. Um, and people really get it. So, you know, speaking to some senior people, um, both in kind of midwifery and, and um, 
um and gps or they're, they're like yeah we you know this this is great this, you know, we need we need more of this so exploring that and something to um to help us kind of make further progress in there is to really start doing some impact studies so we want to invest early on in demonstrating our impact and we're working with some universities around that to develop some some fantastic kind of um, impact case studies so um yeah that's a bit of our roadmap going forwards amazing and um You've mentioned the word invest and investment in a few times in there. Have you had external investment into the company? Because we, I think a lot of people look at um, apps, you know, tech startups, and there's this whole area around VCs, angels, pitching, money seems utterly terrifying if you're not in that zone. Um, have you experienced that, Dot? And if so, what has your experience been? Yeah, so the initial app was raised um, with a with a crowdfunding. So um, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so uh, Sarah uh, ran a fantastic crowdfunding um, and to build the initial app, um, and then was invited to be part of an accelerator program where there would be kind of um, uh, people skills as well as investment in the business. And actually, Sarah decided to walk away from that because because of the offer on the table. And the investors came back and said, actually, you know, we would like to still invest the money if you if you'd be keen. So. And so now, yeah, we are looking at our next round of investment. Um, We've been speaking to VCs, which has been an interesting experience. Um, (laughs) A range of different feedback. And, you know, I think one of the challenges being a femtech startup with two female (laughs) co-founders is that, you know, we don't necessarily always kind of get fully understood, it feels. Um, Sometimes there's a sense of, know is this really a problem or um you know can this problem be solved with generic apps um and so yes there there are question marks over kind of is vc the right route for us um or do we go for a mix of angel plus um some public funding as well um so yeah there's there's some question marks over that and it is you know it is a big challenge um i have to say for for this kind of startup the the investor side takes up a lot of time (laughs) yeah takes away from the businesses you know the stuff you'd like to be getting on with um but it's part of the game definitely well thank you for that insight I find it really interesting and I think there's a lot of people out there who you know have maybe founded their own business over COVID um you know there's a lot of women with their own businesses out there who I think dream of expansion and growth which would require investment and I think it's good to talk about these things because a lot of people are potentially put off by the the fear around that I guess dot to be quite honest and actually I think having these kind of open conversations about what it took and how you did it is the way to break down those barriers um and actually encouraging women to go for investment is the only way that we will increase the number of female founders and and women in kind of femtech as well so thank you very much for your insights yeah and there's fun there's there's plenty of really great networks as well to to join to be joining and it's been really helpful to be part of networks talking about you know investment in femtech and um so we were part of the femtech labs accelerator program for example um and so yeah it can be really helpful to speak to other women who are who are raising um especially if, yeah for female products or um and it's a it's a hugely growing space so it's very exciting to be part of it now 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dot. This has been a pleasure. It's been really lovely to chat to you. Um, incredible insights. And I know Dot is um, really open to helping other women. So if you are interested in anything we've been talking about today, be that Russia or Nourish or Yoga Nidra or Sleep, then I'm sure she will be um, very open to hearing from you. And Dot, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Really great to speak to you. That's all for this week. You'll find all the links you need to everything we've discussed in this episode in the show notes that will be sitting right there in front of you on whatever podcast app you use. So do just have a look in there if you want more info or have a sneaky peek at the socials. If you've enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then please do tell a friend. We're always keen for new listeners. If you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or give us a shout out on your socials, then I would love you very much as it helps others to find us. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Skylark Collective and our website is www.skylarkcollective.co.uk. See you next time.